August 2019, an image of actor Johnny Flynn is revealed to the public. Flynn is in character for the latest film he's set to star in, Stardust. The role? Why, he's none other than the British rock god himself, David Bowie. What might have been exciting news for Bowie fans immediately went south when it was revealed that the film did not have approval from Bowie's estate, meaning they would be unable to perform any actual Bowie songs within their Bowie biopic. Meant to debut at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2020, the film was graciously delayed its debut thanks to the heroic efforts of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the novel coronavirus merely delayed the inevitable. The film debuted six months later at the San Diego International Film Festival and released in theaters shortly afterwards. Today, it boasts a 19% fresh score on Rotten Tomatoes. Two years prior to the announcement of this flop film, rock and roll documentarian Brett Morgan had already been hard at work on a Bowie film of his own, a documentary, and it had the approval of the Bowie estate. In fact, Morgan was working so hard that on January 5th, 2017, he suffered a near-fatal heart attack while on the job and spent a week in a coma. Morgan attributes the heart attack to years of smoking, stress, and a lack of exercise. But give any Bowie fan what Morgan had, access to roughly 5 million Bowie archival items, including footage, photographs, paintings, and more, and they may well have a heart attack from sheer excitement. First reported on in 2021, Morgan's Bowie doc premiered at the 2022 Cannes Film Festival, where it received positive reviews. A theatrical release followed in September of that year, and at least three Bowie heads went to press their space faces as close to the screen as they could. That's right, we're talking Brett Morgan's Moon Age Daydream on Bowie Me. That's right, it's Bowie Me, the only podcast that usually compares famous Bowie-related songs to their many covers to find out which one will lay the real thing on me. But this week, we're reviewing a Bowie documentary. I'm your host, as always, The Snake, joined by my far-out co-host... Alex Mildenberger. Alex Mildenberger, how you doing? Oh, I'm still doing good, man. We just talked about this. We just talked about this. (laughs) Alex, come on, it's technically January when people are hearing this. Okay, well, it's cold outside. It's snowy, probably. That's yeah. how I'm doing. Cold and That's, snowy. It's cold and snowy. Crazy thing is, uh, King Charles is dead. Wow. Yeah, well, I was shocked too. Another about <sighs> Chuck three. Chuck three. <laughs> um. Yeah. Great, Alex. Good future comedy. We're always on top of that. Very excited today. First time guest on show. Long time friend. Big Bowie fan. Um. Ladies and gentlemen, people who aren't defined by those words give it up for ronald chang hello hi hello ronald how's How's it going ronald doing good how are you i'm good i i'm glad to be here i'm i've always been excited to finally get a chance to come on and chat about bowie hell yeah it's funny that we were getting you on for uh to talk about a movie because I recall we were having some conversation about music once and you just like offhandedly were like, yeah, I like to listen to songs like a lot and pick out the different pieces that I couldn't really hear before and like analyze the lyrics. I'm like, how have we not had Ronald on the show? That's literally exactly what we do on here. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, I, it's not something I really, I guess I talk about too much either. It's, it's just something that I do on my own or I listen to music and I guess, you know, I, I never really seek out anybody else to go chat with it. I'm just like, yeah, these are conclusions I have about the PC. <laughs> and then I, I move on. So. And then you're satisfied with that. Well, yeah. we're not. We have to broadcast it to literally hundreds of people. Oh, hundreds. Great. I am that, glad to be getting my audience right. out there. 
trip digits, buddy. Um, so yes, welcome. Excited to have you here. Uh, just to start off, people have heard obviously about because every month, not every month, every year rather, we do a month of Bowie themed content because Alex and I are big Bowie heads. And I think our origin story on being Bowie fans here, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, is that we started listening to it in high school and then just like listened to a bunch of it. Yeah, <laughs> that- that's about it. I just remember we used to sit in our musical theater class and instead of doing any work on our things, we'd just talk about like the rise and fall of Siggy Stardust. I'd be like, what do you think the album's about, man? Oh, what does it mean? Like, what does it fucking mean? It's about like the death of something, man. So that's our story. Ronald, when did you start getting into David Bowie? I would say it's, it's kind of related to you guys as well here. Um, when we were definitely younger and we would get together and play rock band, I think A Suffragette City was one of the first songs of David Bowie that I heard. Oh, from yeah. The classic rock band one. And just like, it just stuck with me. I think like it was a combination of, you know, all four of us like getting together to play a game like this. That's almost just like kind of rocking out. Mm-hmm. But it was just like such a enjoyable song here. It kind of had me dive into music a little bit especially right. in Bowie's music a bit and back at that age when I was finding new music I would kind of just find the album find the entire album and then just kind of spread out from there yeah and so I think like early on I definitely listened to a lot more of it but I think a good portion was before my kind of music taste solidified to really appreciate a lot more of some of the if earlier stuff but I definitely got into I think um Siggy Stardust very, very early on and just became one of my favorite albums listening to as like my music tastes developed through high school as well. But yeah, just kind of listening to it throughout high school and coming into more and more of his work. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, that's basically our story as well. And that's formative times for music taste, right? You hear something in high school and it just becomes your music taste. Yeah, you know, you, you read into the lyrics once, think it applies them to your actual life, and then that becomes your personality for the next few weeks. Exactly. And I feel like that, what you just said, like, this music applies to my personal life specifically, is a very, uh, like, specific phenomenon amongst Bowie fans in particular. I think a lot of Bowie fans think they are the biggest Bowie fan. Because <laughs> it's just like, it's all about me, bro. Like, I connect so strongly to this bizarro British man. And then it becomes like a defining trait. And that's kind of part of like the Bowie madness. I mean, we're talking about the documentary today. There's a lot of shots dedicated to that fan base where you see people in the face paint. There's a girl who's like crying because she like didn't get to see him come out the back door or some shit. Like they said he was going to be out the back door, but he isn't. It's like, I've been here for like an hour or so. It was like a crazy amount of time. Yeah. And then her friends immediately come over and said, I think they like touched him or something. But yeah, yeah, it's a lot of obsession, which I never realized there was really that much about him at the time too. Having not really experienced the kind of heyday of his fame. Yeah. Yeah. We were really in the aftermath. Like he had stopped touring by the time I had started getting into his music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same here. Yeah. So it was. And then, of course, I thought he was going to come back, and then he actually left. He said, no, I'm, I'm done with Earth. I'm out here. <laughs> mm-hmm, unfortunately. Um, so that, my question to you, Ronald, is do you think you're the biggest Bowie fan? And also, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd have to say I'm the biggest Bowie fan, but I would certainly say from that kind of era of music, Bowie is one of my top artists just from that 
genre from that idea and just from the work he's developed and kind of the influence as you can see in modern and kind of more modern day artists and onwards it's it's just something that i think it's just has always been there it's just something that i really really enjoy yeah 100 percent. my partner greta was talking she was like i'm trying to think of like artists aside from obviously lady gaga who are influenced by bowie and i like sat with that and i was like well it's like it's like every musician there's like, so almost, many like, in the same way that the beatles are like so formative it's like bowie is also that formative for a lot of musicians yeah, I, I would say, like, in the sense that the Beatles kind of drove a very traditional style of music, mm-hmm. I think the David Bowie really kind of pushed the envelope on, like, what can we consider as, like, recognizable, acceptable? What is, what, where can we basically go with music and still have something that's, you know, unique and interesting? Yeah, he really does push like the sort of alt side of like popular music where it's, yeah. it's not quite the mainstream, but it is still catchy. It's still like popular and enjoyable in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a way that I mean, has spoken to a lot of people. I know like you can kind of trace the lineage of David Bowie through like later in the 70s with like punk and also like some electronic stuff and like um new wave and that you know forward to today yeah and even looking at it's funny because you can see yeah bowie's influence in those things and also the music he does which spans so many genres itself true we've talked previously on the show about how like fickle he is as like a person sometimes he's like yeah it's all about rock and roll he's like actually rock and roll sucks yeah (laughs) it's dead you're like what the fuck (laughs) yeah i can i can see how he would jump around so much and having been somebody who enjoyed his music before i never really saw how much he moved between different art styles and ways of expression which i think this movie has done a great job of kind of showcasing as well yeah this movie and let's let's yeah let's bring that in here moon age daydream very different in terms of how like a documentary is formed and does a really good job of show don't tell i guess but before we jump into that let's talk about documentaries in general now ron and i were talking a bit before uh ron you said you're not a big documentary watcher no i i don't really get a chance to watch too many of them it's in a sense that i feel when i do find something i'm interested about i will end up doing my own research into something i will end up kind of Uh, finding my own conclusions but and then documentaries in my mind i end up as i sort of secondary media that I can use for like additional information, but it never really crosses my mind first as something I end up watching. Yeah, that makes sense. I like to pace my own research and being able to read as opposed to watch allows me to, I think, get a better flow going mm-hmm. in terms of that. Now, Alex, are you a big documentary guy? Um, I, I do like informational um, like content of that sort, but I don't really seek documentaries out all that much. Okay. Um, I enjoy them, though, but, yeah, just don't, because I'm like, uh, do I want to spend the time watching this whole documentary on this thing? And usually the answer is no. Uh, but I don't know why. That's my conclusion. But I, I, I do li- I like documentaries, especially, like, I remember, like, probably the most documentaries I've watched would be in, like, class in school, and those are interesting. Sometimes RoboCop is in them. Um, Hang on, what? What were you watching? <laughs> he like narrated some like Roman history as a, a series. Of, or no, not as Robocop. <laughs> okay. It was um I'm blanking Listen, on his name. Though. Bag. What's his name? 
Um, um, I don't know the actor's name. Uh, Peter Weller. Yeah, he's also Weller. like a he like has a PhD in history or something like that. Of course. Like, yeah, I don't know if it's PhD. Yeah, PhD in uh, something in history. Uh, so yeah, he like narrated this series of of documentaries on some history stuff, and I watched some Roman ones in a class one time. I was like, "Is that RoboCop?" And it was. Uh, but you don't always have RoboCop. But uh, yeah, I do. I do like documentaries. I just don't watch a lot of them. You just don't watch a lot of them. But that's the same. I say the same thing about movies. I'm like, "Oh, I love movies." Do you watch movies? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I don't have time for that. It raises a question, Alex, because I found a lot of documentaries in this current era are docu-series, rather. True. It's longer overall, but cut typically into smaller pieces. Some of them are still like hour and a half long episodes each, but it's typically like an hour each. Is that more palatable to you, knowing that it's smaller segments, or less palatable because you know you got to commit to three to six episodes? Yeah, if it's an hour long, I would say per episode, I'd say less palatable. Okay. Although if they were even shorter, I'll watch it for six hours straight. Yeah, that's, you know? <laughs> that's facts. Yeah, you're like, you know, well. 30-minute episode, I'm like, oh, I'll watch 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, sure. Then, sure. I'll, watch one, then I'll watch another one. Then I'll watch another one. Then I'll watch another one. Ah, He has a PhD in Italian Renaissance art history. Oh, okay. Fantastic, Alex. So, yeah, we're not big doc heads, but typically when I watch documentary, what I'm expecting is, like, a bunch of talking heads. You talk to people who worked with this, whatever the subject was, be it a person or an event. Yeah, and sometimes a narrator. Sometimes a narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, we drop most of that in this documentary to focus primarily on like footage of Bowie and narration from Bowie. Yeah, yeah it's it's. I don't know if I'd say it's loose because it's still like a documentary presents that footage in a way that suggests a story, and I mm-hmm. think it does a pretty successful job of that. Yeah. Um, cause it really does tell a story. I think, um, I think it does. And I say, I think it does because I don't know how much of the blanks I'm filling in with my own knowledge. Cause I am fairly knowledgeable about the subject. Yeah. And I suspect well. you are as well. So I don't know. My- Ronald, you said you were less familiar with maybe some of the history. Is that true? Yeah, like, I, I'm familiar with Bowie's, like, musical work, but I think that was kind of the limits of really where I knew him as a artist, but I don't think I really say, think I could say I knew Bowie as the person. Mm. And so, yeah. seeing the documentary, seeing kind of just, you know, all the different places he traveled, kind of the inspiration on why he decided to travel and, like, what he felt was the art forms he wanted to express himself in. I, I really wasn't aware that Bowie did so much art and drawing and just other forms. I, I from, the, from watching the documentary here, it seemed like that he had quite a bit of writings as well, and I think I'd want to see if I could find those, just kind of read what his thoughts were. Yeah, he's a very, he's like, he's truly a multimedia artist, and we focus mm-hmm. on the music, because it was the biggest part. Yeah. But like of course, you said, was, yeah, a generalist, right? Mm-hmm. That's right, a generalist. So yeah, that's some of the big highlights of it. Its strength is also its weakness in that it uses just like Bowie footage, and you get real nice little peeks into who he was, or at least who he was when he was being interviewed. Yeah, and what he was presenting as. But then in terms of things that I expect from a documentary, like deal- delving into the uh, the heaps of cocaine he was doing in the 70s, it just kind of alludes to that. 
where you get the interview where he's shaky and a little like he's purely like coked out and like yeah and like because i've seen that interview before and i've seen things about it yeah and you see the like one interview he did where he's like drinking milk and you're like oh i know at that point in his career he was drink only drinking milk and eating peppers or whatever that's right and it's like, it's like but they don't go into that you know uh it's just something. presenting kind of the media at the time which kind of makes sense because you know David Bowie was so based around like this idea of pop and like media and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit meta in that way. And that's actually I something know. I didn't know, like through the movie without having heard about it through, I guess, like this kind of discussion here was that I saw him drinking the milk, but I definitely just kind of wrote that off as a sort of, oh, you know, David Bowie was a little bit of a weird guy. And in the sense that you talk about the drug use and I'm certain drug use was rampant back then, but it's oh, yeah. never even expounded upon in the movie. It's never even anything that gets brought up. And I'd have to imagine, you know, for something that is sanctioned by the Bowie estate in the first place, that's probably one of their stipulations on not wanting that type of message through the film, you know? Mm-hmm. But it is, like, heavily implied. They do a lot of, like, implications of it. And in those scenes where they're showing him, like, a little unstable, like, the music's a little rough, and he's got him shaking in interviews and drinking milk and all this shit, they also put in footage from movies he was acting in where he right. is the, the movie being the man who fell to earth yeah where he is like drinking. drinking in that and being mentally unstable in that but it is acting and i felt that that was a bit disingenuine if unless you knew what the source was because if you didn't know that's him in a film you're just like wow david bowie is surrounded by gin like yeah surrounded by gin in his floating chain bed like what is going on yeah they didn't show the scene where he ate his dick out though so that's probably no no hog action in this film so (laughs) what are you gonna do i'm learning one of the advantages of the man who fell to earth you see at least two different dicks yeah and so this is the conversation i was kind of getting at because alex and i keep saying like facts that you think might be present in a documentary. And Ron goes like, oh, I didn't fucking know that shit. I'm like, well, why yeah. didn't they tell you in the documentary? <laughs> it's two hours and 20 minutes. True. It was very, like, it was very different in, I think, its purpose compared to, for example, like, you and I, Jake, have both read that Bowie biography entitled By Bowie. Mark Spitz. Yeah. Um, and that's very much, yeah, presents facts. It presents like it, they, it's, it's research and they found these stories from people and it's presenting directly a story of a life and a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in this movie, it's much more, you're kind of on the outside and it's presenting it through these sound bites, through the songs, uh, some implications there of the imagery and then the interviews. But it's not digging into things and it, there's, it can't present anything in that format that it was like researched, you know, right. because everything has to come from like a, a pre-recorded something or piece of archival footage. Right. So do you think the film is lacking in maybe an angle or do you think its angle is just something that isn't necessarily bolted down in? the the details so to speak i think it's still telling a story but it's mm-hmm. not telling the whole story and what is that what is the story then alex the i think the story is the sort of philosophical evolution of the artist 
David Bowie. David Bowie. Okay. And that's, I think, what's presenting the most of, because a lot of the interviews are him talking about how he feels about music and how he feels about art and life and love mm. and stuff. And you can track the those changing throughout the movie. Uh, okay. From his, you know, changing his music, uh, the music style that he performs in. You can see from the live shows how his performance changes. Uh, you can see, like, he talks about love early on and says, like, oh, no, I need to stay away from that. Versus later on where he actually gets right, married. We get the contrast where he marries uh, Iman. Yeah. Last name, I forget. I think Mononymous. Oh, maybe. Jones, maybe, huh? Am I uh, anonymous? <laughs> um, and like when he talks philosophically about like what he thinks about art and life, and even there's a bit in the middle where he's like, "Oh, I, you know, I just want an audience," and like I wouldn't begrudge anyone for having an audience. And then later on, where it kind of implies like, "Oh, he's not as fulfilled from that," so mm. he's reaching, going back to kind of his roots, and maybe it plays a song from earlier on in the movie to show that he's returning to some of this earlier drive. Okay. Things like that. So it's really an attempt to get in the in the head of David Bowie. Is that kind of the? I think so. Okay. I think so. Or at I think least that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Because I think the other part is we spend so much time in interviews, particularly, which not only gives us quotes from David Bowie, but it gives us the perspective of David Bowie to the public. Yes. Along with fan footage. Where we see these fans freaking out and being like, oh, dude, man, yeah, he's really fucking cool. Which was fun to see. Do you guys have any favorite fans from that film besides the crying girl? <laughs> um, no, the crying girl definitely stands out in my mind here. It's, yeah. Uh, she's the main one here. I, I, I remember just kind of being blown away just at like how, how deep some people were kind of invested in this and that you you kind of see all these images of i think from the past of you know i i think of kiss basically and you see images of all <laughs> right. the hands going out to oh the yeah and everybody's dressed up in the makeup but i never expected to see people wearing the type of bowie makeup like he yeah does. especially like early on mm-hmm. when he wasn't as like massive Exactly. Or, but. but he still had a very dedicated following, right? Um, and there was that one guy, I think he had lipstick on or something, maybe he had a dress, I don't remember, but he was oh, like, yeah. yeah, it looks good. If it looks good, why wouldn't I wear it? Oh, is that the guy who's like, oh, you don't have to be bent to wear makeup? Because that uh, was another I, one. He might have said that. I, I missed that <laughs> one. <laughs> that was one yeah. of them. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> no, and I think that's a, that's a very progressive view given the age of that type of footage in the first place and i don't think that's a view that would be at all out of place in our our society today you know yeah that's true and we do see shots of bowie in concert wearing his like dresses and kimonos and stuff yeah he's like hyper androgynous through most of this movie it's almost jarring to see him in his like blonde hair phase where he's just like a british man like, oh. <laughs> like wearing a suit and like boxing yeah Unreal. Now we did uh, touch on our like perception of the angle. At least Alex and I. Ron, did you agree with sort of Alex's idea that it's a this is attempting to explore the mind of David Bowie more so than the life facts of him? I would definitely say so as well. the The fact that we got so much interviews that were kind of and like you said about the interviews earlier that these are the public's perception and you know cut by a interviewer edited down to showcase certain parts as well here mm -hmm. the we really get to kind of see what the perception of bowie was here and kind of his thoughts about the ideas at the time here i think as a when you become a 
famous icon like that here, you kind of get inundated with all these questions about the culture of the time here, about what you think society is going to be like here. And I think some of those questions being thrown Bowie really just shows his thoughts on how he kind of approached his fame about his about being a presenter, about being somebody in the public eye like that. And I think it really does kind of showcase, like Alex said here, his evolution through the times and how his philosophy changed, but you can kind of see there's still a core underneath of his desire to explore underneath. Right. Like, yeah, it did a pretty good job of tying it all together in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Like like even as his philosophy changed, like, yeah, the underlying curiosity and desire to create was consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose there is, like, even as mysterious as Bowie is still, even after this documentary, you see how, like, forthcoming he is in interviews. He never really dodges a question. Mm-hmm. He, like, from that beginning one where he's, he's decked out in the Ziggy Stardust gear and he's got the big platform boots on. And the guy's asking him questions, and he's like, well, is that women's clothing, men's clothing? He's like, women's shoes, men's shoes? He's like, they're shoe shoes. And like, yeah. he's, he's giving the most straightforward answers he can. He asks if he believes in God. He's like, well, I don't believe in it in that light. And then even in a later interview where this woman's like, well, so these, these characters you put on the Ziggy Stardust and that were uh, just kind of ways to, to like communicate with us without being yourself. And he's like, well, yeah, kind of, I was always a part of it, but it was a bit of a, like a mask. She's like, so are we getting the real David Bowie right now? And (laughs) his response is, well, one wonders. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember that scene in the movie. And I think that was, I think very telling of Bowie's still creative process. And I think that even as open and forward as he is about some of, of about what his art and what he does, there's mm-hmm. still some part of him that I think <clears throat> is underneath it all still that boy who doesn't who can't express himself in words that other people feels he can un- like they can understand him as well. Yeah, he it, the movie opens with some quote about him talking about time and how it is this like communication with something beyond understanding this great unknowable things like that. And that does seem to play throughout whether he was, you know, 20 or or 50 like that was still playing out in his life this communication with something beyond his understanding mm-hmm. yeah i what it, so this does focus it it claims to focus on like his entire kind of creative lifespan but the real focus is from like early 70s ziggy stardust to basically uh let's dance and yeah like mid 80s mid 80s because we went through the 90s and the 2000s really the 2010s. Through the rest, yeah. Just quick. Like, and he got married and here's some more albums came out and fucking we're done. Yeah. yeah, and like there's a bit of like outside, no like black tie white noise, no boot of suburbia, a little yeah. bit of, um, what is it? What's the drum and bass one? Uh, Earthling. Earthling. We see the jacket from Earthling. See the, the Earthling big jacket. Jack. And I don't think were there any songs from like post two thousand. <laughs> I don't think so. There, I think so. It opens well, there up was Black Star medley. Yeah, yeah Black there Star. was Black Star in there. Um, which is a great segue for us to talk about the music in this film. So naturally, David Bowie has a massive catalog to draw from, and the mistake, like I talked about, this flop film. Did any guys see Stardust? No, <laughs> no. Kind of would like to at some point, but no. Did you yeah, see it? It sounds like a trash heap. No, no? I haven't okay. seen it. So it's funny because I didn't mention it in the intro, but they had to use just songs that David Bowie had covered 
during his like early years because oh, their focus was on like did. his first like American tour or something. You guys, this okay. it's loosely similar to uh, the the Janis Joplin biopic plot in Thirty Rock, where they can't get the rights to Janis Joplin, so they call her like Jackie Jorm Jomp and <laughs> do, do a biopic with that. Has that same kind of vibe, but they choose to focus on just like his early Ziggy Stardust, like the most like ask any bum off the street about David Bowie, they'll say Ziggy Stardust. That phase, I was excited to see in this that even though it only covered like a 20-year span, it was still not just that intro stuff. We get a pretty broad selection of Bowie hits in there. True, yeah. There's a lot of, like, low. Mm-hmm. Um, Big low fan here. And that was cool. One thing I did notice, they, and this kind of ties into something we said before um, about them glossing over some of the less savory aspects. There's almost no Thin White Duke. Yeah. Um... Yeah, barely a mention of, like, Station to Station or anything, yeah. Uh, But they do use a a musical motif from it, which I thought was very effective. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that raises the question. One, what do you think about the soundtrack overall? And two, what were some highlights for y'all? Um... I like that you need to think about. This. <laughs> We're like, oh, who's going to talk first? Okay. Who's going to talk first? Um, what, do you have? Do you have something in mind, Ronald? I, I, I was kind of thinking as well here, especially since you guys are talking about like that sort of later half of Bowie here, where the, mm-hmm. we kind of ended off at Let's Dancer. That's kind of where my Bowie music kind of stopped as well, and I, I hit a phase where whenever I'm sort of exploring an artist here, I'll collect enough albums that I enjoy, and then I just kind of stop. Right. Um, and then like it's usually I don't try to branch out too much more into that artist until I see something like modern from them, which is like a really bad habit of mine, just <laughs> listening to some older artists here, and I think that's kind of what, I, I actually ended up falling really heavily into Blackstar when it first came out. Mm, yeah. Because um, I just really enjoyed just the different sound of it compared to everything else here. Yeah, um, it's a very like dark, brooding album. It's very mysterious too. It's a, And just the timing of it is yes. so wild. It makes an impactful album, regardless almost of the content on it. Exactly. Like, it's just like, it's, you know, that like sort of last gasp of, you know, here's, here's one last one before you go. Mm-hmm. But because of, I think, like the, the structure of where the movie kind of cut off its eras here, like, I actually felt like I was pretty familiar with most of it. But in a sense, though, I know I'm missing that big chunk of Bowie history that I don't know anything about. And the fact that most of the movie were songs I recognized and could identify and like only a few were ones that i wasn't super familiar with here it kind of makes me feel like that they did skip out on a relatively large section of his life and career as well yeah absolutely so the cutoff and i think i understand it because after let's dance he releases basically his two worst albums uh tonight (laughs) and never let never let me down which i think both have some redeeming songs on them yeah, I, I'm. They weren't really mentioned, like they didn't come up in this movie. But there was a brief clip from the "Loving the Alien" music video, which we talked about That's last right. February. <laughs> That's where it had been last January, Alex. Oh yeah, January, not February. February, yeah. yeah so there, there was yeah loose references to these albums existing, and given how much they focused on his like creative journey, it almost seems wasteful to not cover this era where he just was kind of trying to crank out pop music. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, they're absent. And then he pulls away in the 90s. The 90s, he releases what? Boot of Suburbia and Earthling. And then that's all that does. comes up and outside and outside know, black which tie is white noise. Did you say that black already? tie white noise is 2000? And I think. Uh, black tie white noise is early 90s. Is it early 90s? Yeah, uh, 2000 was hours or right 2000 is hours. Yeah, black tie white noise is like 91 or something, isn't it? Yeah, and we miss out on all of Tin Machine. Come yeah, on, they man. do not mention Tin Machine, which is interesting. Yeah, which is interesting not only because it is some like weird like grunge rock music but it is him taking his name off of the music he presents so it feels like there's a lot of intrigue a lot of interesting stuff to delve into into that time period but i guess yeah kind of like what you're just not really Ronald, the focus they focused the on the era that most people know the hits from and i think there is some wisdom in that yeah and like that's what people want to know about the thing about tin machine is they're not really well regarded i do like them mm-hmm or at least some of it, but like generally speaking, I think a lot of people put them in a similar category to "Never Let Me Down" and "Tonight." I think that's mm. not fair, but I think no, I don't think do. so. Just but. because they're like these are the not acclaimed ones that we can forget about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, talking about standouts, I thought the interesting beginning where they they mash up a bunch of tracks together at the start. And we just kind of like get some atmosphere. So you get like kind of from across time. Yeah, from across time. So you get Hello Space Boy in there, which is a 90s one. You get uh, Life on Mars. You get Space Oddity. I really like that they like open pretty much like the first footage of Bowie you see. They open mm-hmm. with Wild Eyed Boy from Free, Free Cloud. I think that's a good. Yeah, I think that was a solid way to present it. Way to present it. And also great live version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, musical a musical thing that I really liked mm-hmm. um, and I alluded to this earlier but they used the piano intro from Word on a Wing oh yeah kind of two times and I, th- I don't remember the exact time but in terms Once, of theming I think the yeah. first time it would have had to have been when he was talking about love right. and how he wants to keep away from it I don't remember if that was when it was but if it was it would have been perfect because the second time is definitely when they're talking about his marriage to a man Mm-hmm. I'm I'm man. Uh, how do you pronounce that first vowel? I think it's E. E man. Yeah. Okay. Um. And I I don't know. I really like that that song and that piano intro. I was like, oh, there it is. And like a yeah, it felt very nice. Oh yeah, that's a tight one. That one's great. I love their their back to back. They do sound and vision with like a little visualizer sequence. So it's like watches oh. a pain or something yes. on the screen. And it's stripped down, so you get to see here how fucking bumping that bass line is. Boom, doom, 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 boom, 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 you're like, oh, hell yeah. And then that fades into a new career in a new town. Yeah. Which is an all-timer Bowie song for me. Yeah, that's, that was a great transition. Great transition. I'm a bit of a freak for that era. Um, I really liked a lot of the live stuff they did. I thought that was cool. Um, and I, I know I talked to Ronald about this a little bit after we saw the movie, mm-hmm. but um, the li- I liked that they used a lot of live tracks when they could and showed him performing. I thought that was cool. Then you could, one, see his sort of evolution as a performer. Right. And also, to me, who's very familiar with the album versions, uh, and less so with most of the live stuff... Um, it f- just felt like a little bit different. It felt like a slightly different perspective. And because yeah. it's live, it felt, you know, it felt like a little more immediate. 
so you mm-hmm. can kind of see the little differences and stuff. It really does feel like a like a treat for the listener and a yeah. way to uh, again expose another side of David Bowie, the performer. We see him in interviews, we see him in performance. Like that's how you get the full image of him. Yeah, I I agree with that too because I I'm with you on that, Alex. And that most of my knowledge comes from album versions and the few live versions I picked up. I actually on first cover hearing them and remembering you know that other david bowie biopic that came out recently i thought because i remember reading about how they had issues about licensing music i thought they were related so i thought some of these were even covers um <laughs> which is just wild but after looking it up after it is just all it's all live music and it's it's really kind of refreshing to be able to get the glimpse into music that you would normally be able to find so casually as somebody listening to this you know 20 30 40 years after the fact yeah there is, yeah. especially with live versions, something so precious about that, because it is just a singular performance mm-hmm. that like could have been lost to time. And I don't know how much of the footage in this is never before seen stuff. If a lot of it is the concert footage, or if it's more interview based. Or yeah, what. I I recognize one from David live because I know okay. that live album because uh, he like fucks up a word, says like the lizards lay lying or something. Ah. Um, I was like, I know that line mess, that line mistake. Um, there is one version, there is one song that is not mm. David Bowie performing it um, that I re- noticed, and that is uh, Michael C. Hall singing "Absolute Beginners" from the Lazarus oh, musical. From the Lazarus, mu- Lazarus <laughs> musical, Lazarus musical, which uh, we did an episode on. Yes, we did. Just to shout that out, like a year a bonus. A bit of, oh, is it a bonus? <laughs> yeah, we were uh, reckless back then. Oh man, that was yeah okay. I know. How did we ever get to where we are now? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there is like again, he has this huge like multimedia like background, and like yeah, it extends to musicals. I was reading just on his like Wikipedia page. Apparently, he wrote some songs for a SpongeBob musical. I think crazy. Yeah, because he was a voice in SpongeBob, right? He was yeah, because his daughter King liked SpongeBob. Something. Yeah, I think it's like Lord Royal Highness is literally the character's name. Yeah. Um, crazy. question for both of you, unless you had another comment on that. No, bring it, bring it in, Alex. Um. Oh my gosh, I totally blanked on what my question was. Okay. Nope, I got it. Okay, it came back. There's a lot of footage of David Bowie like walking in places. Yes. Is that where does that come from? I'm, well, his hair's blonde in it, right? Like, yeah. like bleach blonde, so it's got to be mid eighties. Yeah, um, like there's a bit of him, like in I think I didn't know where. I'm gonna guess Bali because I know he liked Bali. Yeah, Bali to the point where that's where his ashes were scattered. Japan is, I think, a lot yeah. of it, like that nighttime footage where he's like going up and down escalators a lot. I think that's yeah, Japan. Like, I think wh- the daytime stuff is Bali. Wh- like when? Well, like did he just film that? I and yeah, and why? What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I liked seeing it. I mean, it looked really cool because it was like these like neon lights and like there were a bunch of reflections, so you could see kind of him from different angles and stuff. Or mm-hmm. they were actually literally just reflecting things and doing effects. I don't remember. Um, it looked cool, but it was like, what is this from a movie he did? Like, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah, I'm not sure, Ron. Do you have any idea where that footage came from? No, and there was a part of me that was like, on some of those shots initially, like, because I'm a bit of a skeptic when it comes to a lot of these things here. Right. When they're showing shots of just Bowie walking, you know, like, 
from behind uh, pardon was even just like did they just hire an actor and just like you know <laughs> just made the back look like it and they're walking around to fill imagery while they're you know doing the voiceover for whatever he's saying um but at the same time here you know I, the few times you did end up seeing his face in those clips here it in my mind it definitely looked like him so yeah, unless it was like a really of, good AI or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, deep fakes are very real these days. But would it have been so far uh, out of out of the mind to imagine that he did just hire videographers to record him walking around every so often? In my mind, like no. But would he? Who's to say, right? Yeah, and like if anyone had cameras, just come, just like with him. I feel like if right. David Bowie in the eighties. Um, and there's so much archival stuff allegedly that, to dig through that maybe that's just what that's maybe it's just that's just his home videos. That's what David Jones's home videos look like. Yeah, maybe he's got Duncan Jones holding the camera. Yeah, his first, uh, his first, first his directorial de- debut. <laughs> debut, yeah. David Bowie on stairs. Yeah, those moments did stand out though because they were so odd. And it just, it did kind of look like vacation footage or something. You see him on a boat and you're just like, well, there's some British dude having a vacation. <laughs> like, yep. Mm-hmm. Wearing like a lot of really like light clothing and a hat. Man, what a strange phenomenon. Yeah. Um, I guess we've already kind of touched on this, but what were some of your all like key takeaways from this? What did you come out feeling like you now know? I think the big thing for me is just, it really is just knowing the extent of just how much more Bowie has done here, and his idea of when he was talking about, you know, how he wants to do something, he wants to leave his mark on it, and then once he's done that, we're done. We move on to the next thing here. I think that's a... Like, I I guess I don't think I could ever do something like that, and in a sense, I guess I kind of admire that bit of philosophy here. And it makes me want to kind of explore a lot more of the rest of his art, basically. Yeah, I think it definitely sheds a different perspective on it. And you can, I don't know, appreciate what he's doing a little more, seeing just some, even a glimpse into what his thought process is like. Mm-hmm. Alex, you got any hot takes? Yeah, I, I don't know about hot takes. I would say my big takeaway is that, and maybe this is just on me, but I, I feel like I already had a pretty good conceptualization of the sort of philosophical evolution Mm. of of david bowie um this filled in some more details but i feel like this is like confirmation of like yeah i think i had a pretty good idea of what the of what this was generally um yeah yeah okay interesting but Um, at the same time sorry i should (laughs) have not to interject after i should have said it but um like part of that just may be like kind of a confirmation bias thing of like this is what i think and now i'm looking picking out the details that confirm what i already believed um but i do think that the thing the where where the film landed is similar to kind of where i would have landed um yeah and where i have how it doesn't deal with like in 1976 david bowie played here at the hammersmith Odeon or whatever like it's it is more loosely structured there is a lot of room to to get your own takeaway from it say like okay this is how i can now understand david bowie hearing david bowie's words and watching him perform in some live settings and go on vacation or something (laughs) seeing his fans and i think in a sense that's a lot better and more what David Bowie himself would have wanted than, you know, somebody interpreting 
what he's done and then doing a voiceover of it all, you know, and that other kind of documentary style that we were talking about here. I just don't think that would really fit his vision of what a movie about his life arguably would be about. Yeah, it's um he's like even when he talks about his music, and we've talked about this on previous episodes, but he really likes to hear people's interpretations of his songs. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, when I wrote it, I had this in mind, but a lot of people say, oh, I got this or this. He's like, and that's very cool and exciting. He's like, and that's like a great thing, whereas some people be like, no, it's about this. It's like, it's concrete. So even with his own work, he wasn't all about this like concrete structure. So to have a documentary that mirrors that style is, yeah, I think thematically appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, would you guys do anything differently? You're given access to 5 million archival Bowie items and his, his soundtrack. What do you do differently from Brett Morgan? Uh, fail to deliver. Yeah, I die when I get that heart attack. <laughs> yeah, heart attack takes me out. And uh, yeah. Um, assuming that I'm a, like a, a semi-capable documentarian, which I'm not, um, I would say a little more, little more spread out. A little more slightly later, like, stuff from the 90s and maybe later um, mm. as well, if such a thing even exists. Yeah, I mean, come um, on, you can do a three-hour doc. Chuck an extra 40 minutes on there, give us the, the rest of the 80s up to death. And maybe, I mean, maybe some of the more negative stuff that was glossed over. But I, I think it works. Um... Because it does, I th- I thought it told a, a story successfully um, without those. Because really, the the conflict, and maybe that was why it was cut, was because the conflict is sort of his own internal um, that um, drive mm-hmm. uh, leading him astray, right? Uh, briefly, and then him coming back and realizing how to like enjoy life, kind of thing more. Right, so how do you depict that? Yeah, so maybe it was just too much. It was like, and then he was down in this part, and then he was up, and then he was down again. And he was up, and it's like, well, that's a life, but it's not a movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So, and you get the thesis statement of, like, he went through some phases. Apply that to the next <laughs> yeah. 30 years, too. Like, Yeah, it's, it's phases same, all so the right way down. Sense. It's, it's um, fractal. The closer yeah. you look, the more there is. The more there is. That's fair. Um, yeah. I'd like to say that I did like some of the the kind of winking to to Bowie fan structure. Where it was like, hey, here's live footage of him doing Let's Dance, where he does a little boxing in his live performance. Yeah. You know, hey, I know about that because mm. I'm a I'm a little Bowie freak. But <laughs> I think in terms of like getting people in on like a factual level, yeah, maybe expand just a touch on like some of these things to make it a little more explicit so that somebody comes away and doesn't just go like, wow, David Bowie's very cool. But also like, I have an idea of like some things he was going through beyond just being very cool and changing yeah. how he was and cool like throughout the years. thinking about stuff a lot. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense that whenever you talk about, I think famous people posthumously like this as well. You kind of gloss over the negative aspects, kind of like this movie was doing, and I think a little bit more time spent on that. Even like if you don't dedicate the same kind of feeling that the rest of the film has had towards that kind of stuff, if you take a bit more of a serious tone and like, I, I don't want to say like switch into that kind of more like classic narrator documentary style here, but mm-hmm. when it comes out of kind of stuff here, I think it might fit 
better than just, you know, watching somebody through actually their <clears throat> actions and effects through those periods. Yeah. I think you could even do it in the style they kind of did things here. Because they do the, like, the series of shots of him, like, drinking and boozing or whatever. Like, there's, there's the implied, like, discord mm-hmm. in his life. Mm-hmm. And then there's factors about him in his later life. He gets tattooed on himself the, uh, what is it, the temperance poem or whatever. Lord, give me the strength to, to do the one thing, the wisdom to this, and the, oh, the, yeah. the smarts to know the difference or whatever. He yeah. got that tattooed on his leg in Japanese. Okay. So, so, like, you could shoot to that, have the translation of it, and then, like, if there was footage of that, like, there's ways to, to like, show us that, yeah, he was, like, heavy into drugs, and then, boom, like, he, he got through that. We don't need to know necessarily the story in between, but you give us point A and point B, or, like, point C, rather, we can kind of fill in point B. Exactly. Yeah, like, so, yeah, I, I guess if our complaint is we want more, though, like... <laughs> yeah, I guess... Yeah, more details. Actual- an actual complaint, I guess, I had, and maybe just something I might have done differently. I didn't really appreciate all the visualizer moments where they kind of just did splashes of mm. artwork and animations on screen while they played music or overlaid an interview. Yeah. Um, I think in the instances, like, when they were doing music, I think, what else are you going to do? Like, and that's fine. But in the instances where I think he, they were still kind of talking about Bowie and, like, his interviews and what his thoughts were sometimes the music would get in get in the way of basically trying to pick out his words yeah and i think and this is just me personally maybe i it's just like as somebody who never really watched a lot of his older interviews and may not recognize his footage before here but i would have just appreciated more interview footage of that uh, even if it's just like him talking I, I think that on its own would have been enough for me and a bit more enjoyable than seeing all this like kind of animated footage on top of him speaking. Yeah, it's sometimes it felt like the documentary wanted to be a music video, like a two and a half hour music video rather than yeah. a documentary. I agree. And at times to an it kind of was. I, I yeah. do feel like there was maybe an intention there. And to me, it yes. felt like especially at times when they were trying to show some chaos or discord in his life, it was more likely to have a lot of audio layered on top of each other. Uh, but it did make it difficult to follow some of the interviews. Yes, and yeah. that could 100% be a thematic choice from the director about to showcase that discord here, but in a in a sense here, as somebody who may not have been aware of that type of discord there, you know, just kind of seeing the bits and pieces of it here, it kind of just gets in the way of the film, I feel, instead of being a sort of little wink to go, oh, yes. But I, I guess if you guys interpret it that way, though, like you, as I think bigger Bowie fans than me, you definitely have a little bit more interpretation out of that style. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if bigger. I heard a term for, for different ty- types of fans. There's like prescriptive fans, which is like mm-hmm. having the knowledge base. And like knowing the facts, it's like real Star Wars fans mm-hmm. where they're like, and this year it was Han who shot first, but then it became Greedo. And you're like, well, great, you're a bigger fan than me, I guess. And then yeah. there's the more just like straight emotional or like fulfillment fan base where it's like, I listen to David Bowie's music and it makes me feel good. And I don't think either way is necessarily wrong. That's fair. The I let's let's turn back and say you guys know more about Bowie than I do. Yeah, we that, got a little more of the facts down. But even with that, I still agree, because I now I'm remembering these parts where it was like, here's interview audio, and here's whatever Bowie song screaming over top, and I'm like, 
Well, now I just have to disengage because I can't fucking hear what the yeah. interview is. And that's ultimately what I'm here for. I can hear Bowie's music when I go home or even when I just leave the theater. Like, I can't hear these interviews everywhere. Mm-hmm. So give me that. Prioritize that. And then, you know, play the music at more appropriate moments. I agree. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts here? We're going to kind of give a final verdict whether we think people should see the movie or not. Let's give it a yes or no. We don't need like a five stars. I I would still give it a yes. I think it is. It's just a good time here. It's the length is always a little bit up there. And as somebody who like I've only started getting into movies, I want to say within the last few years or so, movies above a two hours in length are still always in my mind. Just a little bit of a uh, do I have the time to commit to this here? Despite oh, yeah. the you know, despite what Alex said earlier, I completely agree. You give me six thirty minute episodes, and I will slam those down. But oh, two yeah. two and two hours fifteen minutes. Well, when you say it like that. Yeah, it's hard to commit to that. But I would still ultimately recommend this movie for, even for somebody who has just a interest in Bowie or has heard his music before but may not know much about him, I think this is actually a really good introduction into his life, he, kind of his philosophy, and just a glimpse into what else he's done before. Absolutely, yeah. I think it, com- it paints him as quite a compelling character, and you get a good selection of his music which, of course, was his predominant output. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot to mention it throughout the, the episode, but what I thought was really cool was seeing some of his paintings on screen. I thought it was a big yes. moment for me. I had never seen any of them before. I knew he liked paintings. I wasn't even sure if I knew he did paint. I knew he bought art and things, but yeah, to see actual works from him was very cool. Yeah. So I think you're right. There is Everybody can grab something out of this, and if you have a passing interest in Bowie or if you're a huge Bowie head, you're probably going to enjoy two hours of Bowie music. <laughs> so, hey, Alex, what do you think? Mm, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I give it a yes as well. Definitely um, worth checking out. I would say if you're not really a Bowie fan, maybe not. Uh, like, if you're not curious about it at all, I don't think it's going to convert you. But, like, if mm. you're a bit curious or you are a, a fan, definitely I'd say it's worth seeing. I mean, I would spent two plus hours listening to david bowie music anyway so like right, the fact that there's some other stuff going on at the same time like yeah fine uh i also liked that other stuff but you know just wouldn't have to be um and i thought there were some cool mixes of songs um yeah it's tony visconti doing the production on this for yeah music, so, so some cool stuff uh we mentioned some cool live stuff that i didn't know um we talked about that one um transition there there was another thing they they put out the version of modern love from this as a single and i was kind of like what it's just it like i wasn't impressed Mm -hmm. but like once you see it in the movie it's like okay it makes sense it builds cool i get it i'm into it now um so yeah check it out check it out did you guys stick around to the end of the credits yes we did (laughs) hell yeah yeah and he he says he's just he's he calls you very lovely and very interesting at the end. Yeah, and I that thought was that was like, nice it, it, in a sense, like it's it's clear that was directed towards like an interviewer who's been asking questions the entire mm-hmm. time. But I think that's very showing of Bowie's personality and like kind of his not like the word I want to use is not capricious, but it's like his carefreeness when it comes to that kind of stuff where he will just say what's on his mind here. There was one, I think, an instance earlier on when uh, an interviewer asked him the question, and he just drops a no-shit Sherlock. 
That's right. And I thought that was just so crazy because that's something like I would expect, you know, people our age to be using, not something I'd expect to hear in interview footage from, what is that, like 50 years ago at this point? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's just like, it's just that like little bit of, I don't know, like humanity a little bit of yeah i I guess like humanity is a good sense of seeing it you know it's that idea of just like he never he doesn't have the time for dumbass questions like that like no shit sherlock (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i think that's just a it's a very like kind of real glimpse into behind it all behind everything behind maybe that mask we still you know i wonder maybe there's still a mask underneath there's still that sense of we all when we're all faced with that dumbass question like really really dude yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, he is just a dude at the end of the day, despite how <laughs> phenomenal he is. Yeah, and that is a good highlighting moment of that. Excellent. So that does it for our main segment. If you've been listening, you got a different opinion, similar opinion, want to talk about some aspect we didn't talk about? Hit us up on Twitter hashtag CoverMePod at Jake the Cressy at some Alex Wise guys. Send us comments, questions, concerns, suggestions for future episodes. You can also email us at CoverMePod at gmail.com. Be sure to rate and review us. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcasting app. Give us a five stars on Spotify, you rats, and then send us mean words by email if you don't actually like us. We just need the ratings, man. Um, you are the marketing budget, so tell your friends about us. Tell your enemies. Tell your loved ones. Tell your coworkers. Tell anyone, because that's how we get more people listening. Uh, and today, since we have a guest, we have a bonus segment. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, bonus. Wow. So this is this was very tough to do, and I think Alex still might clean up on this. But it's a it's a quiz. It is uh, I'm calling it Bowie's B sides. So as we all know, when you release a single, you have an A side, which is the popular song, and then the B side, which is kind of like the album cut that they tuck it along in there to get a little extra traction. So I'm going to tell you a B side, and you have to tell me what you believe the A side to be. Okay. For Bowie tracks. Oh, that's tricky. All right. Tricky. It is tricky. I tried to be. Without giving too much away, like the answers are obvious, kind okay. of. Okay. So the first one I'll give you is well, that was tough actually. Let's go with yeah. Let's go with the first one. Wild Eyed Boy from Free Cloud is the B side. What is the A side? The A side I want to say is Space Oddity. Alex, what do you think? Kind of also think it's Space Oddity. <laughs> Are you both locking in Space Oddity? Um, uh, yeah. Um, let me think a second. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yes, that's correct. All it right. is Space Oddity. So that's that's the easy one. That's a point for both of you. And that's, that's a bit... You don't have to think too, too hard about these. Okay. Um, some of them you might. Because here's the next one. The I Man will. Who Sold the World is the B-Side. Oh, I feel like we talked about this on the episode, I'm sure. But I don't remember. Uh, it's like, I have a rough idea of, like, the early Bowie albums, and, like, I recognize these names, but I'm just mm-hmm. like, that is that is a song I like listening from that album, so, huh. I'll give you guys both a hint. Not from the same album. The A-side is not from the same okay. album. Okay. Hmm. Now, do we go earlier or later? Let's think about this. No, I would can't think about this too much. Yeah. All right. The Man Who Sold the World the is the B-side. So the A-side is, I don't know, changes. I want to throw 
let's dance for some reason, but that, like, I don't know why that's just sticking to my mind. Let's say it. Oh, let's say okay. it. Okay. All right. You were both incorrect. The correct answer is life on Mars. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right in between right. you guys makes, there. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Our next one here is, uh, let's see. We've got V2 Schneider is the B-side. That is V2 Schneider is the B-side. Yeah, you know how earlier I mentioned that part of Bowie that I'm not familiar with? Yeah, I I think we're right in that section. I will let you know all of these singles are from within the time span covered in the film. Oh, goddammit, now I have to actually think about it. Hmm. Just V2 Schneider, right? Just V2 Schneider has the B-side. It's gotta be, it's gotta be Heroes. That's what I'm thinking. I'm going to take the safe guess, and I'm going to guess with Alex as well. <laughs> that is a safe bet. It is Heroes. That is okay. correct. <laughs> okay, next up, right. we have Andy Warhol as the B-side. That is oh. Andy Warhol as the B-side. Oh. Okay. Hmm. Well, I'll keep an eye. You guys are tied right now. It is two for two. Oh. Oh, you pretty things. That's my oh, you pretty things from Ronald? second guess, but I'm going to say changes again. Alex, you are corrected. It's changes. Uh. <laughs> so, Alex, you've taken the lead here. Three to two. Next up, we got an interesting one. This is due, due to the way that, you know, singles were released back in the day. Sometimes America would have a different uh, B-side or even different A-side than uh, other parts of the world. British. So this one is either Knock on Wood or Suffragette City as your B-side. Oh, jeez. Knock That's on Wood B-side. or Suffragette City as Ooh. the B-side. That's spaced out, man. I'm going to go with Starman. That's a good guess. Starman's my guess. Starman Just to spread it out. spaced out. Spread it out, I'm going to say... Five years. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Young Americans. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Unexpected. Okay. All right. Unexpected. unexpected. Completely unexpected. I was definitely expecting another Ziggy Stardust song. I know. I'm sticking within the albums, but I think that's the downside here. Yeah. Well, some of them are, and then, yeah, you get weird ones like that. Yeah. <laughs> so this next one. I'm going to bet is outside of your realm of knowledge here, but it should should be within it. Uh, we got Fantastic Voyage as the B-side. It's Fantastic Voyage. As the B-side? As the B-side. Hmm. I think you're right about this being outside my realm of knowledge. <laughs> it's only kind of in my realm, and it, it should be more. But <laughs> Well, I'm a big Lodger fan, but is it also on Lodger? Hmm. 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 I might just take a pass on this. I, I'm good. I've got nothing I can say that I think will be correct here. Pick, pick something wild. Pick the weirdest David Bowie right, song you know. Right. Okay, okay. Um, Tis a pity she's a whore. Hey. <laughs> it's not that. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, I'm going to go just because it's in the movie, uh, uh-huh. DJ. Oh, good, good guess. It's Boys Keep Swinging from the ah! <laughs> And the final one here, B-side is a new career in a new town. 
Oh, what a great sound B-side that is. I hope it's sound and vision. Alex has said sound and vision. Ronald, what do you got? Um. Oh. Oh, what was from that era? I'm going to take the safe guess again. I'm going to take Alex's guess. That's correct. It's sound and vision. Ah, vision. <laughs> so, Alex, you beat out Ronald by one point. One. That was that was a tricky one. It's Arguably a bit tricky. Three. Three. Yeah, because you just stole guesses. But <laughs> maybe half points, you know? You're like, yeah, guess yeah. for me. And all that. <laughs> but it was a safe bet to bet on Alex's knowledge. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good way to work it. That young mm-hmm. American zone was a curveball, though. That definitely right? was. Yeah. I didn't even know we had a song called Knock on Wood. I was like, it's, <laughs> it's a cover. Okay, that makes it's sense. Either, I, I, it's either on pinups or just live on David Live. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, that does it for the bonus segment. Ronald, thanks so much for coming on today. Do you have anything you want to promote? No, I, I'm good. I, the one thing I want to promote is your podcast. Tell me. Oh. Come on, get out there, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Comment. Like, you know, get, the, get your metrics in. Yeah! Oh! Thank you so much, Ronald. Um, Hopefully we'll get you on again sometime soon. That we got a Bowie month coming up. We got so. a Bowie month coming up, so if you want to hop on it. No, I'd love to be on again here. If you guys ever want to chat about Radiohead, hit me up. Oh, absolutely. Oh, we haven't, we done, haven't Radiohead done Radiohead yet. Yet on the yeah. show, so that would be perfect. We should. All right, yeah, let me know. We will. Um, That does it for today's episode of Cover Me, and as we always say on Cover Me, cover me in a Moon Age daydream. Oh, yeah. Should I say that as well? (laughs) (laughs) Cover me in a moon, cover me in a moonish daydream. Oh, yeah.